In the marketing communications landscape, commercial sponsorships are often viewed as somewhere between invaluable marketing tools and a chairman's whim. Fortunately, this is beginning to change, with sponsorships maturing for mere bit players to playing genuine and major roles in delivering commercial returns and benefits. But how do we know when it's done correctly and efficiently? Salesandmedia.com decided to ask some experts and try and find out what really makes sponsorships commercial. Hi, this is Paul Gardner. Today I'm talking to Ken Unger, who is an author, a speaker, and a sponsorship expert and lives in Indiana in the USA. Hi, Ken. Hi, Paul. Now, Ken, you're the president and founder of an organization called Charge. Now, I assume that's because it's the Charge the Light Brigade rather than any sort of exorbitant costs you charge. That's exactly right. <laughs> How long have you run Charge for? Yeah, we've been in business for 15 years helping clients in sponsorship and sports marketing. And Indiana, why based in Indiana? Is that, is that where you came from? Is that your original town? Actually, I'm originally born in New York, but uh, moved to Indiana many years ago and decided, decided to stay here. I think uh, part of it is I worked in the auto racing industry for many years. And uh-huh. in, in the U.S., that's a little bit of an epicenter of auto racing, Indiana. Now, you've worked in, in sponsorship marketing field for more than 20 years across sort of business, government and sports. I mean, have you ever seen anything like this? At the moment, there's been nothing like this before, and certainly, uh, it has wreaked havoc on so many industries and so many countries across the world. But it has really done particular damage to the sponsorship and event industry because um, we just can't get together people to people for a while. Can just to give a sense for our listeners, give us a feeling for what it's like to be operating in in the sponsorship business in the states at the moment. Yes. Yeah, so at the moment, uh, like in many places in the world, you know, most live events have either been postponed, canceled, and if they can uh, move forward, they move forward either strictly with participants and no spectators or with a very limited number of spectators. So that has really put a strain on sponsors to get any value sometimes from their original sponsorship relationship. But it's an incredibly trying time both for properties who have sold sponsorship and are desperate to provide some kind of value to their um, partners, but also for brands who in some cases paid a full price for rights fees and activation, all of that before the pandemic really took off at the beginning of the year and would love to recoup that investment, either getting money back or to get some kind of value to help their businesses. Is is that a realistic option? I mean, I know in Australia, a lot of people are talking about um, extending the brand or extending the contract or just basically writing off this year. I mean, you've worked with brands such as, I'm reading the list here, Bridgestone and Coca-Cola and Disney and General Motors, Jim Bean. I mean, if you're advising them now, would you say, listen, just write it out, the economy needs it or extend the contract or get your money back? What would your advice be? Yeah, it's really going to depend on the particular client. If you're a client and you are battling for survival, probably sponsorship is not high on your list of priorities. But if you're in the thick of it, you know, we're in a a global recession, you still have to sell goods and services. Um, Sponsorship, uh, to a certain extent, if not at live events, sponsorship as a marketing tool still works. So we're really arguing that do what you can right now to get value. 
for a lot of sponsors that's um, extending digitally. So we see a lot of things via social media, via streaming. If you can't plan for the future, so that could be extension, right? It could be renegotiation to get different a different bundle of rights. But look to the future. Look to 2021 and find a way to, to muddle through 2020. I read an article recently that tested American marketers, and they said 57% of them said they do not believe that sponsorship will come back to anywhere near what it was after COVID. Do you share that pessimism? No. I think that it's going to be hurt. You know, the, the estimate was that worldwide, um, it was a $62 billion U.S. industry. Mm-hmm. So about $62 billion. It's going to take a beating this year, certainly next year. But it reached that level for a reason. And the reason was from a market dynamic perspective, it, it helped businesses you know, improve their brand image, sell goods and services. And especially now with the techniques that you know, modern sponsorship marketers use to, to get the word out about their brand, those fundamentals will not change. So yes, it will be hurt in the short term, but I think it'll probably end up coming back bigger, but different. Uh, in 2021 and beyond. What about those sponsors that use their sponsorship basically as a defensive proposition rather than offensive? I mean, they think, well, we don't really want to stay involved in, let's make an example, in NFL, but if we leave it, our competitor could come in. I mean, surely they must be weighing up the pros and cons of spending so much money again. Yeah, I I always view that competitive position as a little bit short-sighted. I mean, you certainly see a lot of sponsors wanting to get in and close the door behind them to competitors. But certainly, a lot of times those sponsors forget about the offensive part of it, about actually making uh, something happen with the relationship that they have. I think that there's still a bit of that going on. That's fear of um, giving up territory that your, your sure. c- competitor will claim. But we're advising clients to be more strategic than that, to really look towards building their brand and rather uh, keeping another brand out. And how many clients does Charge currently operate for? We have about a dozen clients. Uh, Some come, some go. But it's really different. Every client uh, that we have has different considerations about uh, what's important to them. What health, what state of health are they in at the moment? Mm -hmm. And what they're looking for in the long term, their long term future. We have a number of major sports in Australia, obviously, and we're talking to clients here, and they're saying things like, "You know, I've managed to do without being involved with the AFL for eight months. All it's basically doing is putting my logo in the middle of the ground. I mean, why don't I just do something else? Why don't I move more to community? There seems to be a real swell in doing something for the community, which I guess is logical after a pandemic or." To hopefully towards the end of a pandemic. Have, have you seen that in America as well? Yeah, Paul, you, you raise like three interesting issues with that one statement. So first of all, um, we're seeing for those sports that are on pause, as they are in Australia, we have brands going, you know, we really didn't miss much by not participating in that sport. You know, my dad always used to tell me, never let your boss dream about life without you because you might not like the outcome. <laughs> <laughs> a wise father. <laughs> yeah. And so, 
you really have sports that should be on edge about the value that they provide now that they can't provide value. Did the sponsor actually miss it? So that's kind of one issue of, of the point you just raised. Another is terms of um, giving back to the community. We're seeing two things. Like you said, we're either seeing sort of the partial or whole abandonment of sponsorship and moving that money. And this is happening across marketing and other platforms as well. But moving that money into corporate social responsibility, about social initiatives, about community relief um, related to COVID-19. But really what we're seeing is that for sponsorships that are moving forward, we're seeing them lace community initiatives into the sponsorship itself. Okay. So, for example, bringing a charitable partner, uh, for example, a food bank, because uh, in the U.S. Um, there is a real strain on food resources because of how many people are unemployed. But integrating charities like that into programs, so a very topical look at what does the community need today. We also see events. The NBA ran an NBA 2K, their online uh, video game platform. They ran a tournament with all proceeds going to charity. So you're seeing a lot of different responses to that. Um, but yeah, I think sponsors are adapting to the times. And right now the times are pretty emergent. So they're responding kind of with community relief initiatives. Ken, you talked about community movements. I mean, clearly out of America, two of the big ones in the last decade would have been the Me Too movement and the Black Lives Matter movement. How, how has that fundamentally affected sponsorship? Yeah, I think that right now, because of the awakening of social justice initiatives, uh, you're seeing a lot of that interlaced with sponsorship messages. For example, Formula One, uh, which is a, mm. a sport that certainly transcends national boundaries. You're seeing uh, racial justice, the Black Lives Matter movement, uh, all of those things really interlaced with sponsor and um, sport messaging. So they're really becoming one. That is the commercial message that you're trying to promote is sitting side by side with a message regarding social initiatives or social justice. This is not a bad thing, right? I mean, sure. they, they're being carried on the same positive kind of platform that is really good for talking to audiences that are you know, ready, willing, and able to listen to messages like that. When I look at something like the Washington Redskins changing their, their name, uh, a name that's been around for over 100 years, for allegedly because a sponsor threatened to re remove their sponsorship. That puts a lot more power in, in sponsorship, doesn't it, than has ever been the case before. Traditionally, it's been yeah, the owners of the property saying you can have A, B, C, and D. Now it's the other way around. Well, if you want us to have A, B, C, and D, we also want E, F, and G. Absolutely. I mean, just look at that. I was just astounded at the speed with which that happened. And and I, I don't know. I don't have any unique insights into that other than what I've seen as you have in the media. But it is an example, I think, of a sponsor uh, wielding its economic power in the name of social justice, right? I mean, there was a statement made. Uh, there was kind of a commercial ultimatum that was put down. Mm -hmm. And within days, days, the decision was made to kind of change that team name. I think that's a really good example of what truly is a partnership. That um, is, sports are not going to dictate terms to to brands, and brands can't necessarily dictate terms to sports. But if 
if there is a coexistence, if there's a true relationship, there has to be a meeting of the minds on things like social justice. And that's an example, you know, FedEx was saying, if you want us to be affiliated with your team, yeah. your team name must reflect our values. And it won't, it, won't, it won't be the last, will it? There's a lot of teams in America, both college and professional teams, that carry names that, that may well offend a number of people. Absolutely. You know, there was a, a movement, you know, some years ago to to change some of those names, especially um, in the college, in, in the U.S., especially in the college world. Yeah. And that happened and there was change made, but then it kind of stopped. And what's happened now is it has been energized. It has been reinvigorated. And I don't think this is over until every last instance of things like the Washington Redskins are corrected. So we're going to see a lot more of that in sport, especially at the professional level. I'm talking to Ken Unger from uh, Charge. Ken, you recently wrote a book on sponsorship strategy. Do you now have to rewrite it? <laughs> you know, it's really interesting, Paul. I sat back. I started this this book back around September of 2019. Okay. So well before anyone ever heard of the coronavirus or any coronavirus, yet alone COVID-19. So we're in the pandemic and I'm halfway, three quarters of the way through this book. And I asked myself that question. I said, is a book about sponsorship strategy, is it relevant either during the pandemic or what will will be the post-pandemic world? And eventually I answered that question, absolutely. And the reason is, is that I believe it's a personal philosophy that strategy is necessary when times are unpredictable. Okay. And so for that very reason, I think that any kind of um, sponsorship assumptions that were made merely on tactics or made merely on hunches, and I'm sure it's the same in Australia as it is in the US, you have a, a corporate CEO look at a certain sports event. And he or she is a fan of that event and says we should sponsor that event. Well, that's especially that's especially the case in the arts, isn't it? We see that a lot in the arts. I think so. I think so. And I call those hobby sponsorships. Okay. And so they're not based on strategy. They're not based on on business goals. Uh, they're based on a little bit of whim and things like that. Whether they are very tactical sponsorships or things that don't have a strategic underpinning, those are gone. Those are yeah. over. That was 2019 thinking, and post-pandemic, there is no economic room for that. And so I decided that I needed to finish this book, and I needed to bring it to market because it, I, I believe it has within it the underpinnings of what make not only for good sponsorship decisions, mm-hmm. but how to really sharpen that point of your sponsorship to get the best results for the least resources, whether you're a brand or whether you're a property. How do you create those relationships that are going to work in business, period, full stop? Ken, what's, what's the, the full name of the book? Yeah, it's called Sponsorship Strategy, Practical Approaches to Powerful Sponsorships. And, and it's available, I guess, on Amazon and other websites? Yeah, on Amazon, it ships worldwide on paperback. It's also available on Kindle, and it's also available on the Apple Bookstore for uh, download. Now, if I haven't got time to read the whole book, there's one part I particularly want to concentrate on was right now today, how do sponsors select the right sponsorship relationships? Yeah, I think it's about audience. The The shared target audience is kind of the, the, the essence, the core of, 
of a workable sponsorship. That is, if you're a business, your customer base and the sponsorship property, you share that target audience. You yep. share it demographically. You share it psychographically in terms of interests and behavior. But you are essentially talking your customer base and the overlap with the sponsorship property is is pretty tight. That's the core. We talk about that in the book. But also once you've nailed that, really talk about what what I call the superpower of sponsorship, which is image transfer. Okay. And image transfer happens when you take if it's if it's a sports team that has a particularly great image, the mere fact of a sponsorship, one that works, one that where there's true sponsorship fit between sponsor and property, but the association of that sponsorship between sponsor and property creates this image transfer where the great image of the sport is transferred to the brand, to the sponsor. And as a result, the image of the sponsor is improved. Potentially, they sell more goods and services. But it's how to create that image transfer, how to promote that, and really uh, how to avoid the pitfalls that will prevent image transfer. That's that's kind of the Tootsie Roll Center of of, uh, right. of sponsorship, the candy center of uh, of of goodness for a sponsorship. And would you would you advise clients to sponsor teams or the sporting organization themselves? I, the reason I asked that is I was just watching um, some baseball last night. And it was that shine over here, and it was an all in brawl. Yeah, in, 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 an empty, <laughs> in an empty playing field. And I thought, wow, if I was a sponsor of either of these teams, I would be jumping up and down and saying, what are you guys doing? Are you crazy? In these hard times, people are demanding a better example and better role modeling. So would you say to a sponsor, listen, I know teams are great to have, but really be better off sponsoring the, the, the ba- baseball organization as a whole rather than the individual team. You know, that's a great question. It's one that um, sponsors struggle with all the time, and they struggle with it for a lot of reasons. It really is going to depend on the brand equity and the brand image of uh, the property itself. In some cases, the federation has a better image. In some cases, it doesn't. In some cases, the federation can't deliver certain assets that that the sponsor would need, but the teams can. So it really, it depends on the sport. It depends on the relationship between federation and team, but that's going to, there, there isn't one size fits all. And actually it's quite different from sport to sport about whether that's true. In some cases it would be better to be with the federation than the team, but it's, it's really going to depend. That was a long answer, Paul, for it depends. <laughs> <laughs> that was a good answer. So can so if I'm, I come to you and say, listen, I want to get involved in uh, a sponsorship, let's say sports for the sake of the exercise, and I don't want to really get involved in a major way. I don't want to put all my, all my eggs in one basket. What sort of money am I looking at? Do you say, listen, you, that's, that's not even serious. Unless you've got X dollars, you can't have any major input in this, into this competition at all. Yeah, you know, that's that's a great question. It's one we get all the time. And because of the prominence of certain professional sports, um, people make assumptions based on that that aren't necessarily true. So whether you're talking about a sport or you're talking about a not-for-profit or a humanities organization, it really runs the gamut. So on the high end, probably the most expensive sponsorships are the Olympic Games. 
Mm-hmm. And really, again, in U.S. dollars, you're you're, you're well above a hundred million dollars uh, to to be wow. a, a sponsor of the Olympic Games, either at the IOC or by the time you add on, you know, the the uh, National Olympic Committees around the world, you're at that level. So that's probably the high end. You know, it goes all the way down down though, Paul. Whether it's a sports or a not for profit. You know, it's thousands of dollars or tens of thousands of dollars. So between <laughs> between a $10,000 sponsorship and a $100 million sponsorship, there's a lot yeah. of daylight. And it really depends on the sport. It depends on the property. But also, it isn't one size fits all. So if, if you are, for example, a company with a more modest budget, there is a sponsorship for you based, again, on that shared target audience. Mm-hmm. The the one thing on pricing that I would really is again it's a pitfall that I I'd want your listeners to be aware of. Yeah. There's two parts of a sponsorship. One is called a rights fee, sure. and and that is the right to use the the uh, the brand of a of a certain property. The other is activation and leverage. And I know your company Paul is in, is involved in that, so I know I know you're 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 familiar with it. But often sponsors they'll put all their eggs in one basket and spend all their budget on rights fees. And not leave enough to actually activate or bring their sponsorship to life. And those type of activation expenses are advertising and social media and public relations and uh, at event promotion and event uh, experiential marketing and those types of things. So generally, there's there's a lot of different formulas for that. And I, I, I tell people to start off with one-to-one. So if you spend a million dollars for a rights fee, to be a rugby sponsor, for example, or a cricket sponsor. You want to save about a million dollars in addition to that to activate, to bring to life your your, uh, sponsorship relationship. Well, can I send you all my clients' names so you can ring them and tell them? (laughs) Only if you do me the same favor. (laughs) (laughs) Can you mention the Olympic Games a moment ago? And clearly they've been, um, been, well, let's say postponed until next year. I mean, I can see a lot of problems with them even running next year. I mean, some of the problems that I've mentioned in other areas are such as how, how do you qualify when the qualifying might be in a country that's COVID ill? If I've qualified this year, you might be faster than me next year. How do I recognise that without a court of arbitration? I mean, I think there's every chance that the Tokyo Olympics will not go ahead next year. But what, what are you advising clients and potential sponsors regarding Olympics? Yeah, it's it's really interesting. So regarding things like that, um, and I'll, I'll couch my answer generally about events that may or may not happen. I tend to be on the other side of that regarding the Olympics. I have I think it will happen in some form. Okay. However, what we're advising clients now is to learn from the lessons of March, April, May, June, two thousand twenty, and that's. Um, Really, this is you know contacting your solicitor, your lawyer, working closely with them, and your counterpart on the other side, their their solicitor, their lawyer, in negotiating a contract which makes sense for both, and that is having a right to get out, timing when are payments um, supposed to be made, you know, because right now the only thing that we know for sure is that change will happen. Yeah, we just, sure. We just don't know what kind of change, so we're really advising massive flexibility and a little bit of wait and see, right? Certain things you can't wait and see. The The lead up in planning for the Olympic Games is massive. Yeah. And so 
there's there's certain commitments that you have to start making. But to the extent you don't have to, be sure to to be careful about what rights you have to unravel it, whether it's credits for future events, mm. whether it's refunds, whether it's you know outs from um, certain contracts. The Olympic game is probably the massive example of that because of the dollars involved. I think it'll happen, but wow, there is so much to happen between now and the summer of 2021. It's, I can't, we can't even think about it. Then I guess you get the other scenario, which is it does happen, but it's largely compromised with asterisks because a lot of the countries can't come because, I mean, let's say, let's say worst case scenario, America can't go. Because then no one wants no one wants them because it, you know the COVID's still rampant. Or Australia <laughs> can't go, or India can't go. Suddenly, some of the powers can't turn up. I mean, what sort of results you're having? Yeah, the truth hurts, Paul. The truth hurts. <laughs> <laughs> I promise we'll let Americans back into the country soon. I promise. So please, everyone listen out there. please, I'd love to come back to Australia someday. I would. You know, I I think my sense is the asterisk is more important. To a certain extent, for competitors, for sports purists, than for sponsors. Okay. The question will be for sponsors, is it a compelling, entertaining Olympic Games filled with drama? I mean, that is the essential, you know, that is the, the essential formula for value in not only the Olympic Games, but a lot of different events. So certainly for, you know, let's, we shouldn't assume this, but let's just say America can't compete. What will that do to the Olympic Games? Well, the Olympic Games under that hypothetical would still happen. It would still be filled with drama. It would still be filled with competitors. It would not be the same Olympic Games, yes, right? But it would still make for compelling uh, sports entertainment. And to a certain extent, it would still fulfill the initial mission of, of the Olympic Games, which is peace through sport. And so you would still have value to sponsors. There would some that would argue that there would be less value, but mm. you know, even if America didn't come, for example, would America not watch the Olympic Games? I don't think so. I think, you know, there's there's great viewership for that because it's as compelling in America as it is in the rest of the world. So that's really an interesting scenario, Paul, but I still think in that scenario you'd have sponsorship value. Can your business charge sponsorship.com if people want to find out more about your business, they can go to the go to the website. Right, we in chargesponsorship.com. Uh, there's certainly more about our business, but we feel very strongly in giving back to the marketing and business community writ large. And so, what we've done is there's an insights section where we are writing about. Uh, from a thought leadership perspective, things are of importance to the sponsorship industry. You can either go to the website to check things out as we post them, or you can sign up for our newsletter, uh, which we send out bi-weekly. A free newsletter. We talk about things of interest to the sponsorship community. It is definitely transnational. Uh, it is not things of interest only to sponsors in the US, but it, to sponsors around the world. So I'd encourage your listeners, if they want to kind of up their game on sponsorship, to certainly uh, check us out at chargesponsorship.com. Ken, it's been fantastic to talk to you. I, I hope that Indiana is not one of the states that's currently in, in big trouble in America. I uh, hope you stay safe and sane. And more importantly, I hope that a lot of people buy your book and Sponsorship Strategy. It's available on Amazon. It's by Ken Unger, who's an author, speaker, and sponsorship expert, and the president and founder of Charge. Ken, thank you so much for your time today. And Paul, thank you for your hospitality. Cheers. 